presentation in genre. Uh, to, before we start, a couple housekeeping things. If you have the app, please go in and rate, leave comments. Uh, we really appreciate it. it. It does take it into account uh, for next year's paneling. Also, if you can, throughout the weekend, there are these lovely buckets around here. Uh, that is for our charity donations. Uh, this year it is Special Olympics Georgia. So anything you put in here, Dragon Con will match up to 100,000. So please, if you can, please give. Uh, so we are here to talk about uh, representation in genre and how it's been handled, what, what's been done well, what maybe hasn't been done well, uh, whether or not we see that changing in the future. Uh, so to start things off, we're gonna just introduce ourselves. Uh, my name is Jessa Phillips. You could start down the end over there. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Cash. Um, I am here um, on this panel specifically because I um, am I identify generally um, speaking as queer. I am non-binary gender and um, pansexual. Um, I otherwise, you know, just. Uh, Try to keep abreast of other issues of representation, because um, nothing is in isolation. Hi, uh, my name is Priya Varnia. Usually you can find me upstairs in the Star Wars track. I know you're all shocked. Um, <laughs> I got tapped for this panel because I am a half-Asian woman of color. Wait, that was redundant. I'm also kind of queer, so that's probably why I'm here. Hi, my name is Andrea La Rosa Jimenez, and uh, I'm Cuban-American, so my real name goes much longer than that. <laughs> and, uh, and I um, have been uh, blogging about uh, comic book media, specifically television shows and movies, but comic books as well, and uh, also TV in general, TV genre, uh, for well over a decade. Um, and I do have a specific interest in Latino representation in the media, as well as LGBTQ representation in the media. So. I'm here because, you know, this is what I like to talk about, so. <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Xavier, and I know you can't tell, but I'm black. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my name is Xavier Conley, owner of Ebony Warrior Studios. I'm here today because um, I was recently on a um, show called Cosplay Melee uh, at the beginning of the year, and um, I won the first episode, and one of the messages that I pushed in the show was representation matters. I had a encounter with a little boy at Dragon Con last year um, who was in a Batman um, costume. He saw me in my Batman and um, when I was approaching him, he got super excited. Uh, his mom was with him. He started um, you know, shaking her hand and pointing at me, uh, pointing at his skin. And um, so when I got up to him, he uh, knelt down to talk to him, and he said, um, Batman, you're brown just like me. Does that mean I can be a superhero one day, too? So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I broke down at that point. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm always in character, but, yeah, that, I broke down at that point. Um, I told him, you can be whoever you want to be, and don't ever let anyone tell you differently. And um, so I'm here because my message has always been represent representation matters, and I represent a... Um, uh, yes, the largest cosplay has gotten. I, I represent a very small minority within the cosplay community. Black males are <laughs> very underrepresented within cosplay. So, um, just here to push the message of equality in all areas. And certainly, representation uh, can be a very personal thing, but it can also be a broad uh, sort of question. Uh, so, maybe we should start with why representation matters. Maybe everybody else to kind of touch on that. Well, I think for me, the reason um, that representation, specifically in the media, matters is because when you don't see stories about people like you being told in the media, being given value and being given precedence and prioritized, uh, you're, you get the message from every side that your story doesn't matter, that your experiences are inconsequential, that they're not worthy of being the hero narrative that even, you know, there are a lot of instances where the only uh, racial or sexual diversity in a show or TV or movie is the sidekick. You're always supporting the primary narrative. So the message is, is very strongly that your story doesn't matter. And so seeing that 
it helps you form a sense of value of your own identity, I think. I mean, I think the story we just heard from Xavier kind of hits the nail on the head. It's, to me, representation matters because maybe probably like a lot of you, I didn't really see myself represented in media as a kid. Uh, Mulan was a big freaking deal because there was finally an Asian lady. And when I finally met Ming-Na Wen a couple years ago, I almost cried. Because um, I was, I mean, I was the only, me and my mom were the only Chinese people on the Eastern Shore of Maryland. That's not really a haven of uh, Asian-ness. Uh, but I mean, I think it matters because a lot of us didn't have that growing up as kids. And I think it matters for this next generation. As far as Star Wars goes, and sorry, I'm going to come back to them a lot. Um, watching the little girls who have now seen Rey as the primary hero pick when that lightsaber flew into her hand. Yeah, all of us broke down sobbing, but it made such a difference to these kids, these young girls and the boys as well to see that a girl can be the lead and the hero and not just the love interest who may be out there kicking butt too, but she's secondary to the main person. I think that's a, that's a really good point about boys or anybody who is not in the group that's not represented. They need to also see people and know that, no, like, you know, I, I do have a son who's white and obviously like, I'm like, no, dude, like, not everything is about white men. Like, you need to see that this is, you are not the central character in everybody's narrative. Um, and I will say, I think also um, a lot of representation matters because when you do have more than one character who is not the white man at the center of the story, then you, if you do have one who is more comedic relief, but you have somebody else who is not a white man also fulfilling another role. So representation is important for the quality of it, obviously, but also the quantity. Um, there's, you know, a need to see this spectrum of complex characters. For me, um, you know, I, I was, I, a good example would be this morning in the parade. Um, as I was going down the street in the parade, I had my helmet on initially, but then I took it off um, because I, I'm always conscious of these, there's always these kids in the crowd that are looking for someone that looks like them. And if you were watching the parade this morning, there were very, very few black males, very few POCs in the parade. Um, but it was awesome to be going <laughs> through the parade and see these kids just scanning the um, <laughs> the parade participants and then they see me and the eyes light up and they jump up and they're waving at me on the high fives and um so being able to be a role model for these kids um and being able to represent in that way is one of the biggest things for me, I'm, I'm actually studying to become an elementary school teacher. So it's, um, it plays into both sides. And um, <laughs> it's not just the kids that love that representation. Me, myself, no, me, me, myself, I um, was at um, Star, Star Wars Celebration Orlando earlier this year. And they, some convention people pulled me to the side and they said, do you want to take a picture with BB-8? I said, yeah, the real BB-8? Yeah, I'll do it. That was you? Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, I know where this story's going. So they, um, they pulled me into a side room and BB-8's there with two stormtroopers. I'm like, yes, I get to take a picture with the screen and use BB-8. So they took the picture and the lady said, you want to see the picture? And I walked up to the screen and she showed me the picture. And I look at the picture, and John Boyega standing behind me. <laughs> and so I was like, no, they must Photoshop it in there. <laughs> and I turned it around, and John Boyega's standing there, and I, I lost it. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I couldn't say anything but yo. I was just yo. <laughs> so for me, being able to be a role model, but also seeing you know myself in these characters, like John Boyega, um, he's very near my age. He's... He's not just a secondary character. Yes, I love Lando Calrissian. Yes, I love Mace Windu. But John represents a new age of Star Wars. He represents much more. So being able to meet him was, you know, 
that meant so much to me. So I understand what it really feels like for these kids that I interact with. That video was amazing. Like I got really emotional just watching that. (laughs) So if you guys look it up on like YouTube, seriously do it. When, when I was growing up, I I grew up on the wonder woman reruns and, um, with Linda Carter and Linda Carter is Mexican. She's Mexican American. And, um, I just remember being really little and watching it with my grandma and having her say like literally every episode, She's really pretty. You know, she's Latina. (laughs) (laughs) Every episode. And that was just, that was it on TV at the time. So, yes, it's been nice to see see that broaden since then. First, representation matters for for non uh, neurotypical people yes. as well. I think that neurodivergent mm-hmm. people, um, that's something that we're we're just scratching the surface with in media representation. So and now it's like interpreting. For for uh, I mean, just bouncing off of that, when uh, my, my my little brothers have autism, so they're both twins, and they both have autism, but when I took them to go see Power Rangers. And when they found out that the Blue Ranger had autism, it was just, you know, I'm seeing myself on the screen now, too. Because they're both, um, they're mixed. They're both mixed. But they, you know, they're half black. So it's like, I see, you know, he has autism and he's black. So I get to see myself on the screen. But um, going back to your original question, when it comes to talking about these I'm not going to call it an issue when it comes to talking about this this very real thing that we have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, you cannot... I hear a lot of people say, oh, we're colorblind. You can't be colorblind. Yeah. <laughs> There's no such thing. Because... The, the, like yeah. How do I bring this up? Yeah. I do no it way. almost yeah. daily with my kids. Like, you have to just... It's not a big talk every time. It's, did you notice how many people were white in that show you just watched? It's, did you notice this? Did you notice that? You know, it's obviously different. Oh, full disclosure, my oldest is sitting right here. She's 17. Um, So it's very different for a 17-year-old than my 8-year-old. But it's just, it's that awareness built in to the conversation. It doesn't have to be the big sit-down. You know, kids have a very deep sense of what's fair. Like a lot of them, you know, you having two, I'm sure you have heard that's not fair a lot. Um, and and when I, I approached that with my son about in the context of, of fairness when he was very small, he's also a teenager now, but when he was very small, I approached it that way as well. And I very uh, deliberately did not raise him to feel colorblind or say color doesn't matter. Or he doesn't see color. I, I, I approached it more as a sense of we do see color. We do see differences and we celebrate them. And, and we see that, that, that there are people and there are institutions in society, which may be more than the little ones can handle, but as they get older, that, um, that don't do that, that they actually stack the odds against certain communities. And that's not fair. And that's unjust. And that resonate, that, in my experience, tends to resonate very strongly with kids, you know, about pretty much any issues, whether it be racism or sexism or homophobia or ableism. Um, kids from a very young age, you'd be surprised at how much empathy that they can muster and how much sense of fairness, if you tap into that, I think, you know, that's, that might be a starting point. I don't know if that helps answer your question. Okay. <laughs> 
Hey, Ty. How are you? Um, I'm sorry, I came in late. I didn't catch your name. My name's Xavier. Xavier. Hmm? Um, I came up during the time of the 70s and 80s. Right. And for me, the first black people who I saw on TV who were not garbage men or struggling people in the hood were from Battlestar Galactica, specifically Colonel Tide hmm. and Boomer. So I don't know how old you are, Xavier, but when you were coming up, who were the examples that you looked to on television and media? Um, growing up for me, it was, um, I've always been a huge Star Wars nerd. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, Lana Parisi and Mace Windu, um, those were really the main, as far as the Star Wars universe, those were the black guys with the Star Wars universe. Um, there were various characters that, uh, like, um, Black Panther, the, uh, uh Blade, and, um, there was one more blanking right now, but the bishop, yeah, bishop as well. Um, my dad collects uh, collected comic books. Like he has a vast collection of like original um, issues, one, two, three. You know, Marvel stuff. And so he introduced me early on to these characters. Um, he didn't just you know. He obviously did not just introduce me to the black characters, but he introduced me to all these characters. And as I grew up, I saw that I wasn't seeing a lot of people like me. And I, you know, I really noticed that as I got older, it was, when I was younger, it was not as, um, as big of an issue. But as I got older, I realized this is, it, you know, I love these characters to death. I love Captain America. I love Iron Man. They're awesome. But I really like to see somebody that looks like me doing you know being put to the forefront like they are i don't want to be a like i don't want to always think of myself as a sidekick Mm -hmm. i don't want to always think of myself as a secondary i want to i don't i'm not i'm in no way shape form i'm saying that i'm better than anyone i'm just saying i want to be equal so um oh static shock was the other one That (laughs) that was like when when that series um that series dealt with some issues that you know, honestly, the I, I, I honestly believe the writers, I'm um, pretty sure the writers were black because yeah. they they were dealing with issues. I mean, one episode dealt with uh, um, Static's best friend's dad being racist. So it's stuff that, you know, the other superhero shows, they were dealing with, you know, oh, we're fighting bad guys and stuff like that. Static was fighting bad guys, but he was also dealing with issues that we have to face on a daily basis, things that we can't ignore, things that we have to address. Like, we literally, you know, every POC you know, knows about the talk. Right, right. Well, you got to have the talk. Like, um, you know, how to... Literally, we, we have to regulate ourselves every single time we step out the door. We have to te- teach ourselves how to interact with law enforcement because if we talk out of turn, if we do anything out of turn, that could be our life. So... Um, these characters, or those characters that I named, they always were important to me, but I wanted to see more. And that is a great question that I would like to pose to the rest of our panelists, um, so maybe we can get a broad range. Um, I will say, uh, I actually realized this, like last year, that I never really felt like I saw myself on TV except twice. Um, how many of you watched my so-called life back in the 90s? Yeah. Um, yeah, Wilson Cruz's character, you know, and then um, not until Sensei. And the trans experience really being showcased on screen. And I had that moment, I mean, I'm not binary trans, but I had that moment of, oh, like there's somebody actually like me, their story being told. So, you know, that was sort of a kind of, you know, that I watch my so-called life. That's a big gap. <laughs> um, so. We're going to come back to that. Really. Oh. I want to say a thing I loved about uh, really loving that first season of Sensei uh, was that, first of all, it was a transition story. Thank goodness. Yes. Uh, but also, the story that she had couldn't have been told if she wasn't trans. Yeah. And I think that's really important. And when you talk about representation, 
that's really what it gets down to. Not even, not just so much that it's just that, that it's about that person, about you know, the, the person's struggle of the soul focus of what they are, but that the events that occur to them in the story are, are the, who they are is integral to how those those events work. The stuff in the hospital. Um, anyone who's ever dealt with uh, with unaccepting family, it's terrifying, terrifying. Thing. The uh, I had friends who found the the story she tells about uh, about when she when she was in school, the, the thing in the locker room. That uh, I know people were triggered by that. That's like so so much of what experiences that people that people have had. It's a great show, by the way. Sure. Yeah. Um, so actually this came up on Twitter about a couple months ago. So I actually have an answer for this. Uh, they're asking like, what was the first time you really felt you saw I yourself? Re- I was going to refer to that. Too. Yeah. Represented <laughs> on like television. I think it was. And for me, I thought about it for a while because there's not a lot of Asians out there on television and because white people keep getting our roles. And there's also not a lot of biracial people or blatantly where that's a part of their story. And it's very obvious because I've experienced not just in television, but within, again, I'm sorry, I keep coming back to Star Wars, but Star Wars where people look at Asian characters in whether they're drawn or in like <clears throat> comics or animation and they go, eh, she ain't Asian. There's no Asian space. <laughs> uh, to the point where I literally have a folder on my computer of screen caps from people from Lucasfilm pointing out that like Sabine Wren and Dr. Afra are Asian because um, I got really tired of it. But I, div- I got sidetracked. Um <laughs> But I think, the, for me, the first person who I really felt represented by was Chloe Bennett in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, it was a big deal when they released that first cast picture. And not only were the main six, you know, it was half women, half men, but two-thirds of that main cast were Asian women. And Chloe Bennett is very open about being, yeah, I'm half Chinese, I'm half white, you want to fight me? <laughs> um, like girlfriends out there doing the Lord's work. Um, and I and I felt very good about where her story was going to go because while Joss Whedon may have been the guy whose name everyone threw around when it started, it was his brother, uh, brother Jed, and his wife Marissa who are the real driving force behind that show. And Marissa Tondran is, I believe she's Thai. Um, but she's Asian. And I knew that like Sky's story was going to be in good hands. And we got that confirmed later on when her dad was white and her mom was Asian. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, interesting fact. And I think it really shows the, the dearth of, of what you were saying before about the, the primary stories uh, being people of color is that I think until Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. debuted, there had only been one show, one hour long scripted television show for its enti- the entirety of its run that had um, the principal actors were all people of color. And that show is Psych. Mm-hmm. And that, that was it. That was it. The entirety of its eight-year run, there was no other one-hour scripted television show that had principal car- actors that were people of color. And, like, every single one. Which, uh, there was uh, James Rodé Rodriguez, uh, who's Mexican, uh, who plays the lead character, and there was um, Julie Hill, who plays his best friend. Those were the leads. That was it. Eight years. That entire years, there was not a single television show that had every single... You know, I know that... I think that um, Ming-Na Wen and... Chloe Bennett, um, I think they are the principals. Uh, uh, plus, uh, well, plus uh, uh, Clark, yeah. Yeah, so the three of them. So I think, I mean, that's really, that shows you, I mean, out of hundreds and hundreds of shows, you know, that that aired during that time period, that was it. But, um, I mean, just to say what, like, what I identified with, I, I grew up identifying with Wonder Woman, <laughs> Linda Carter's Wonder Woman very much, and... Um, Latinos are, are, are really radically underrepresented um, when you think about the fact that Latinos are almost 20% of the population of this country. They certainly are not 20% of the population of TV and movies. <laughs> um, I think that they're, they're, they have actually done statistics on SAG uh, roles, and I think something like less than one, like 2% of all lead roles go to Latino actors. Um, so that's a really, really <laughs> big problem. And... Um, it's I, I really I had a very hard time thinking of aside from Linda Carter, who I ever saw myself. I, there are very, very few Latina women on on TV in general. I mean, it's it's gotten better recently. Um, but I mean, I just I can't I couldn't really remember <laughs> other than other than this rerun from the show from from 40 years ago. 
I just couldn't I couldn't remember when I had last seen and and, and it's when you see that when you see Latino women it's like I have to think of a, a joke that John Leguizamo said it's like you know she wasn't a maid she wasn't a prostitute I almost didn't know she was Latina you know because that's all all we ever see so it's um for me I'm, I'm still finding that answer <laughs> not to step on your toes but the uh, the one show I always think of that has that is fabulous with representation isn't a genre show it's Brooklyn Nine-Nine Brooklyn Nine-Nine is fantastic because I mean you've seen the stories where like the two lead actresses and I'm sorry I can't remember names were crap today um Stephanie, yes, Stephanie. Yeah, <laughs> so, where they both, one of them said like, oh, well, uh, you know, we went to the audition and then I heard that she got the part. So I assumed I wouldn't get it because, you know, you can only have one Latina on a show <laughs> and then they both got it. Um, so you've got two Latinas on there and you've got two black men in prominent, very prominent roles, um, including Great one of them. Show. Yeah. One who plays yes. a gay man and his yes. sexuality is never the brunt of the joke. Like when you're laughing at it, you're laughing with him and you're not ever laughing at him. Uh, Ste- Stephanie, yeah, yeah. who plays Rosa, she's also out as bisexual. So, yes. yeah. So, I mean, that show's doing it right. Yeah. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to point out as far as, um, you know, who I identify with, um, who I, you know, really uh, had this moment of pride. Um, <laughs> film's not out yet, but everybody, uh, it, <laughs> I pretty much guarantee you every POC was sitting there watching uh, TV when that first trailer for the Black Panther came out. <laughs> it was like the, the the way that the that women felt when Wonder Woman came onto the screen. This is how all of us felt when we saw that trailer for Black Panther. That music, that just the the idea that we that we can be royalty, that we're not secondary. I mean, I love Rhodey. I love um, I love Falcon. <laughs> But they just, they, they always get these, they're just always awkward, just these, it, they're just, they, they always get shafted, like mm-hmm. background characters. So to see Black Panther come to the forefront now and to be able to feel that, that pride of knowing, you know, this is coming from, this is where we came from. This is, this is us. This is, this is the character for us. I mean... I know all of you have seen the memes that came after that. It's gonna be, <laughs> gonna be, gonna be in the popcorn line like Somali pirates. <laughs> We're gonna go to Jane. Oh, did you anything else to add to that? Oh, one thing I love with that trailer is it also like showed a vision of Africa free from colonization mm-hmm. and not and not the way that so much of Africa. Has been tainted by by white colonization. Right. That you have a vision that, that that's away from that. Yeah, I love that because every single film where they show Africa, there's always this idea that the tragic. It's, there's always a, it's yeah. always the white people come in and assail us. Um, there's always war torn. There's a, everybody's a everybody's either a victim or they're a warlord. Mm-hmm. Um, so you never see just like you're saying this Africa. It literally, like, if, if you were to take all of the things that happen in Africa, this, you know, people coming in and stealing everything, Africa would literally be the wealthiest continent in the world. So being able to see what Africa would be, you know, it's powerful. And this gentleman back here. Yes, sir. Um, like, how Can you speak up? Can you speak up? We can hear you. We want to hear you. <laughs> <laughs> like how representation is handled in genre fiction, like specifically science fiction and fantasy versus like you know, non-genre um, works. Do you think that it it makes it easier for people to sort of approach the subject with representation, like how or how different ethnicities, um, genders, etc., are handled in those works versus like say something that's based in the real world? So his question was, uh, with, with the fluidity of sci-fi and how open it can be, and the opportunities there, does that maybe open a door for how representation can uh, be brought more to the forefront? 
Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I mean, yeah. uh, part of the role that, that speculative fiction has always served, uh, I think, has made to has been to make us think about the world around us, the possibilities, uh, both for good or for bad, uh, that, that exist in the future and that what we can do with uh, technology and what we can do with just human advancement and human progress and what that means uh, and what that means for a variety of people. Uh, and those are conversations that have, have that I think that, that sci-fi has always um, started, has always inspired. And so, um, I mean, you definitely see, I've seen, um, I've been in genre fandom for a really, really long time. And I've definitely seen a, a shift, a gradual shift as, as genre shows have gotten more diverse. I've seen a, a shift in the conversation of talking about um, different social issues and people challenging each other on assumptions that they've had or they've long held. Uh, and those are conversations that were not happening or not even being ma- having space made for uh, 10 years ago. And, and I think that media ha- is a very powerful tool to, op- to just inspire those types of conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I really love shows like Sensei and The Expanse because I feel like they have a really great amount of diversity. But I, I was interested in, and I got my little notepad open to take notes, what are shows or movies or comic books or novels that for you are really good examples of content creators who are getting it right? I'm trying not to give you everything Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars is valid answer for everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any answer is a valid yes. answer. I would just Star Wars Rebels kind of knocked it out of the park because they got oh, no yeah. white guys. Which, sorry if you're going to tell me that Canon Jarrus is white because you're wrong. <laughs> um, Defy the Stars by Claudia Gray had a uh, mixed race protagonist um, with a white <clears throat> with a white robot guy. Um, Oh yeah. Oh, heroin complex. Heroin complex. Uh, the sequel just came out. Uh, I think it's heroin worship. Um, I don't want to do it right. Yeah, Brooklyn Nine Nine. <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, Brooklyn. If you yeah, if you don't Nine-Nine. watch Brooklyn Nine Nine, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, yeah, please just leave the panel and go watch it now. Like, it's so good. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it remains to be seen, but the new uh, Star Trek, mm. the casting is on point. Like, I have to see the execution, but it's it's definitely on the right track. Yeah, I think one of mine would probably be uh, the one that I thoroughly enjoy is uh, Blackish. It, it, it's not this, it, it's not like a show that is this is this is only for black people. This is a show that everyone can watch and they can see and understand the things that we literally do on a daily basis to both live amongst ourselves and then live amongst, you know, non POCs. I mean, you can. The, one of the funny things um, that they deal with in the show is switch up, and that's uh, we we literally have. Um, it's almost like we have two different languages because when we're with when we're amongst ourselves, you know, <laughs> Ave African American vernacular English is something that you know we know that, and both the you know <laughs> regular old English. So it's like. Um, Blackish is an awesome show that'll show you, give you some insight into, you know, just our daily lives, <laughs> how we go about dealing with issues, um, and and it's it's awesome because the the um, uh, the dad is black and then Rainbow, um, his wife is half black half white, so you get that dynamic in there as well. Um. Yeah, um, it's also really funny. <laughs> um, it, the I think um, one of the things, one of the shows that kind of surprised me recently that I was really impressed by how well they handled diversity um, was Prison Break Resurrection. I don't know if any of y'all saw the reboot season five. They that that they uh, revived it after um, a few years of it having been canceled, and um, I was really impressed by it. It was uh, set in Yemen. 
and it had a variety of Muslim characters. Uh, some of them were gay, some of them were very feminist, some of them were very regressive. So it had a variety of Muslim voices represented, which is not something you see every day. In fact, they had an openly gay Muslim actor um, on the show. The three of the lead character, the lead actors, are were openly gay as well. Um, they have. Uh, Omari Nolasco, who's Puerto Rican. They had Wentworth Miller, who's biracial. I mean, they had Rockman Dunbar. They had a variety of big diversity uh, um, in pretty much every level. And they had storylines um, that covered all of that in, in ways that felt very organic to the characters. And I was very pleasantly surprised by that. Um, and the other one I would say, um, although it's not without its flaws, certainly, is The Flash. Um, I think The Flash has done a nice job of... Um, having a pretty broad variety of characters. There's the, uh, there are only um, two shows right now that have uh, a relationship story between two Latino characters, and they're both on the CW. One is Jane the Virgin, and the other one is The Flash, which now they have Cisco and Cynthia, um, who is the vibe from Another, Another Earth, um, played by Jessica Camacho. And uh, so I, that's, they're pretty much it as far as, they're, they're, like, that's the only two relationships on any network television show between two Hispanic characters. So, um, I mean, they do that. And obviously, Iris West, uh, Candace Patton, who, um, you know, she, she's not black in the comics, and she is in the show, and I think she does a beautiful job. Um, she's actually my favorite character on the show after, and um, after Captain Cold, and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So I mean, it's not without its flaws, but I think that they try, and I think that they they uh, definitely pay my. I know that um, Greg Berlanti, who is the executive producer of The Flash, he talks about how he has um, made a big push lately about um, having diversity both in front of the camera and behind the camera. And behind the camera can almost be even more challenging than in front of the camera because the network will come back and say, well, you can hire women or you can hire directors of color, but they have to have experience. Well, where are they going to get it? Where are they going to get it if they don't have that first opportunity? And so he's, he's had to fight as big as he is. He's had to fight every season to create opportunities for, for minority directors. So. Just one thing that's making you cry is when sometimes you, you change a character's ethnicity or their sexual orientation. Just touch. Do you think, just your, your thoughts on that, do you think this with whitewashing, blackwashing, gender? changing do you think that that promotes representation or would it be better to have more original characters and content i don't think it helps one way or the other just your thoughts short version yes longer version I don't think there's anyone here who would disagree that like Lewis Tan would have been a way better Iron Fist than um, Blaine McBlanderson um, than Jones I actually know his name Uh, but again like that's something that also deals with another issue of Asians always in martial arts roles but overall I think that anytime you take an Iron Man story is always going to sell better than a uh, a Mirage story I love Danny Moonstar more than I love Tony Stark, but Iron Man always has that name representation. But because you have Riri Williams in the comics, who is the Iron Man, you get more opportunity for uh, for the characters to be to be seen, like these POC characters um, that you wouldn't usually. You kind of have to use a little stepping stool. Um, it's like that box analogy. You guys have seen that, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And I think the the name recognition does a lot for that. Um, some people will, again, I'm, I'm so sorry. I keep bringing everything back to Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not, no, you're right. I'm not. Um, but I think the fact that in the force awakens, two out of the three main leads, you had a Latino man and you had a black man alongside a white woman. I mean, that was a big deal. And in another upcoming film, you have Rose Tico who is Asian. Um, at Star Wars Celebration, I almost broke down sobbing standing by the Star Wars show stage because when they brought her out, Kelly Marie Tran is adorable and I want to protect her. Um, <laughs> but I almost broke down sobbing yes. and someone who didn't know me turned around with like, Gee, what, what was that actress in? Like, why do you care? I was like, because she's Asian. <laughs> um, 
So I think basically brand name recognition does a lot to help. Um, and it makes people more comfortable. Like, everyone's going to see Star Wars. And if you haven't seen Star Wars in the room, please don't tell me. <laughs> you know, but, and yeah. ulti- ultimately, black is not a personality. Gay is not a personality. It's like, you're not changing anything yeah. by making someone, I, I don't know, that's just, I, you're not changing anything. Iris West is still Iris West. She's black, and there's literally nothing about her that's different except that. It's not a personality trait. It's You're not changing anything. It's like... Saying, well, she was blonde in the comics. She can't possibly be redhead in the oh, movie. But White and straight is not a default. It's it's yeah. not. That's yeah. another thing too. It's not you 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 there. It's it's challenging the notion. And again, it's what what the gentleman in the back uh, raised is challenging. Part of the job of these stories is to start these conversations and to challenge some of our our preconceptions and i mean if i don't know that's <laughs> i mean i think that's a big reason why there was a huge campaign to have someone who was not a white british guy be dr strange um thanks for having the poster right there to jog my memory um i mean there's nothing about his story that like he has to be white like congrats you're a doctor there's not white doctors <laughs> plenty of them so i mean i think him race bending him would have done a would have done a big deal for promoting representation. Yeah, um, for me, the I like to go to this analogy of you have a bowl of white elements. If you go into this bowl of white elements and add a brown M&M, you're going to notice that. Right? Um, but if you also go into that bowl of M&Ms and you've got three brown M&Ms and it's a bowl of like a thousand white M&Ms, you take away one of those brown M&Ms, you're going to notice that as well. So, this idea of <laughs> blackwashing is just <laughs> kind of ridiculous to me <laughs> because we're not represented. Um, and it, and then people want to bring up the the bring up the um, the argument of oh well if you get a black uh, human torch can I change Black Panther? <laughs> so yeah, no. this is the issue comes to when the when when you think about it, every pretty much every single character of color that was created in these comic books and movies, they were literally created as characters of color. It is in their background. It is intrinsic to their character, to their story. Luke's Luke Cage, Black Panther, Blade. It is intrinsic to who they are. These white characters, when they were created their skin color was not intrinsic to their character. So I always, the people who come to, um, come onto my, my Batman photos and try to tell me I can't be Batman. Oh, you, you're probably Bruce, you're Batwing. You're, uh, you, you can't be Bruce Wayne. No, I can be Bruce Wayne because his, his skin color is not intrinsic to his character. It's a, the Batman is a mantle. I can be Bruce Wayne. Anybody can be Bruce Wayne. Anybody can be the Batman. It's that. It's it's literally the <laughs> Batman is Batman is an idea. Batman is a mantle. Batman is a symbol. So I, when people try to argue with me and tell me that you know they're blackwashing, it that's it that's that's almost as ridiculous as the idea of reverse racism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Along those lines, I always think of the bad example of that, of course, is, you know, of course, the good Fantastic Four, which is, I don't mind the concept, but then have a decent writer <laughs> back it up. So, and I think that's really what it comes down to. like that. Have somebody who can handle it write the story. Yeah, you know, the, the most amazing thing to me about I ha- I'll be honest I didn't see the movie I haven't seen the movie I, 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 because everybody, everyone told me that but but what I what I, yeah no and I, I thought what was really interesting is that there was this huge outcry about the idea that um, that the the human torch's father had adopted a white child right as a child that's why they were Kate Mara was Michael B Jordan's sister um, and it's it speaks it speaks to uh, yeah. white people were so offended. It was. <laughs> well, you know what? You know the reality is that there's 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 this idea that that black and Latino families don't adopt white children, which is not the case. That that does happen, and and you know that's that's not something outrageous. But it's just 
to me, what was the wildest thing about that was that you're, you have a universe where there's a human rock, where there's an invisible woman, a pla- like a plasticine man, and a guy who turns into fire, and that's the thing you're going to complain about? <laughs> that's the outlandish part you can't get over? I, I just didn't get it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> White men. <laughs> Sorry. You need to add something and then we're going to come over to you. Oh, I was just saying that the, the idea of uh, the, the sort of uh, outcry over, over changing the uh, history of uh, characters that were previously white. Marginalized people have always had to find our own, our own ideas in pop culture. Uh, we've had to find things that we, that we weren't represented. And have to find things that we recognize That's right. that, mm-hmm. that would resonate with us and sort of stake out those places for ourselves. And I think that uh, yeah, I just think I, it kind of it's a form of denial of history when you, uh, when you sort of say that oh this person was, you know that you can't have this character because it was previously like another ethnicity or other or other you know uh, or, or other minorities uh, from, from characters who were you know. It comes back to the idea of the cis white male as as the default. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I, I just, yes, their original original creations are fantastic, but you also have to challenge the idea if you're ever going to do anything about the. About the yeah, and just just to speak to what you were saying earlier, it is easy to identify with people that look like us, and I think that the issue is that. The stories and the heroes and the, the focus of every narrative, or not every, but the vast majority of narratives uh, until very recently were cis white men. And, and it's, it, for people who are cis white men, it's always been very easy to find people that you identify with because you can see yourself very easily in, in, in a broad variety of media. And for, for the rest of us, we've had to fight to find anything to identify with. I grew up watching The Incredible Hulk with, you know, the Bill, uh, you know, the step from the 70s. And, you know, I, I identified with him even though I was a little Latina girl <laughs> and I was identifying with Bruce Banner um, because there were aspects of him. So I think that there's this, there's there's a, a, a real pushback because it's not it's not as easy to see yourself in people that aren't exactly like you. And so you have this this group of people that has been pandered to for literally since modern media has existed and now they're asked they're, they're being asked to identify with people that aren't like them and that aren't identical to yeah. their experiences and and to find the universality of human experience in 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 human beings that aren't them exactly and and they don't some people just don't want to lean into that you know and and, and feel what that discomfort it means and unpack that so I mean, going off of that, I mean, again, we've always been asked to identify with characters and support and see the films where it's mainly straight white guys in the lead. And then we're told on the flip side, oh, well, I can't identify with like an Asian girl in the lead. Like it's a, it's just flat out offensive. Like if we have to do it one way, then you can do it the other way. Um, the number of butthurt fanboys I saw <laughs> whining and complaining in the comments on the Forces of Destiny shorts that they did, which if you're not aware, uh, Star Wars did like a bunch of like three to four minute shorts focusing on the women in Star Wars. Um, it's a really great thing. They're aimed at kids. And you had the 40 something guys who were like, well, I don't like this. It's wh- why, why aren't you doing Forces of Destiny with men? Like, don't you like the boy characters anymore? What about Luke Skywalker? Actually, no, wait. Someone, uh, someone with a Vader account went, oh, are you going to do one about Anakin? And I kid you not, the Star Wars account went with, not everything's about you, Anakin. (laughs) 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 It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I want, yeah. Um, But yeah, just going off that. like just the pushback is often that transparent. I mean, I just, um, Luke Cage is my favorite um, of the Defender series so Mm -hmm. far. And um, I just thought it was mind-blowing that a lot of the pushback, um, a lot of the critiques the well actually happening about that show yeah. online is that, um, you know, it's almost, it feels like reverse racism, what you were saying before, because there's hardly any white people. It's like, there's hardly any white people in the story. It's not, it's like, it's almost, it's almost as though the story isn't even about white people. <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> what? <laughs> the show is set in Harlem and there are still people complaining yeah. about that. So. The other side of the pushback is people being like, well, if you really want to see yourself, go write it yourself. And as if, oh, like, you know, I'll just 
walk out of here and suddenly <laughs> sure. be picked up for a Hollywood Hollywood. <laughs> oh, is that all? Publishing is easy, didn't you know? Right. Like, you just read a manuscript and you throw it at someone, oh, wait. And then when somebody actually does do that hard work and put in those years of networking and everything, then they're like, why would somebody write this? After all that work, they're just, yeah, exactly. They're just pandering to their little niche. And it's like, you just said to write it yourself. And it it also erases the fact that people have been trying. People have been Mm -hmm. trying to to get stories made and novels written and and things in the forefront. People, it's not that that, that's like an idea that's fresh to the table. You know what I mean? Luke Cage was important. Uh, It just, you have these people who, (laughs) <laughs> they wanted to cry because they didn't. But I, it's it's all about me. I why can't why can't I see a white man in it? This is about Luke Cage. This is important because this day and age, we're seeing black men murdered for no reason other than reaching for their wallet after a police officer has told them to reach for their wallet. So to see a black man on the screen who is bulletproof was powerful because we need you know, it. We're, we need it. <laughs> we're not, though we're not bulletproof. It just gives. It just it shows us that we are resilient, that we can power through, that we matter, yeah. no matter what. I think another, sorry, just real quick. I would say another important thing for this is having the white guys who are in these positions of power give the opportunities and boost the voices of the less represented communities. Uh, There's an author named Rick Riordan who wrote the Percy Jackson books. And for a while, everyone would be like, okay, well, why don't you do this mythology? Why don't you do that? And admittedly, he did do a story on Egyptian mythology, um, which actually featured biracial kids, which is really cool. But he got, they were asking, well, where's the Polynesian? Like, where's this? Where's that? And so he's actually starting something now where he kind of has a known, like, mythological imprint. So it's the same concept, general concept, but it's letting the people from these more marginalized communities uh, tell their own stories and not have them just be written by someone, another white guy, um, someone who's really just using the platform he's built to do everything he can for representation, someone I respect a lot. Yeah, that's a he's. I, I enjoy his work too. Yeah, the the one bone I had to pick with Luke Cage is the fact that, um, you know, Shades Alvarez is played by an Italian, and Latino characters being played by Italians, aka white people with tans, um, you know, is has is has a very long history in Hollywood, and um, it really is very hurtful because um, Hollywood wants to profit off of Latino stories without having Latino actors profit alongside it. And um, so Theo Rossi is, I don't mean to pick on him particularly, but he's an actor that's made a career, an Italian actor who's made a career out of playing Latino characters. He played one on Sons of Anarchy. He's played at least four more. Um, And so that's, I guess, and that's an issue we could maybe talk about is how people find certain things swappable when they're not. This one right here. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. I'm your 40s white cis male. <laughs> so the government says. I actually went all the way through the New York State Board of Education when I was 16, trying to prove that I wasn't. They came back and said, nope, sorry, you're white. Do I look white? Do I look white? I speak like a New Yorker. <laughs> my background, my parents emigrated from Egypt. So you want to talk about insidious stereotyping. The only thing I ever get to see is, hi, I'm your friendly neighborhood terrorist. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I grew up The only thing we ever got close to was Tony Shalhoub, pretty much anything he ever did, but it was what was Monk, and Mohinder Suresh in Europe. He was Indian. That's the closest we get to representation. Everything else we ever see, you want to talk about insidious There you go. We don't get classified with the regions that we get, so I'm very interested in the weirdness 
work on Egyptian mythology because that's that's a bit interesting. We tend to see also just the groups there. So I very much feel what you're saying about Asians because we, we lumped them into back in the 60s. We knew what that stereotype, the Fatih, the this, and we can go through all of the negative stereotypes. And you, sir, I understand. <laughs> Have you seen the Night at the Museum movies? Oh, yeah, so Rami Malek is Egyptian, and he's playing the pharaoh in yes. in the thing. So yes. I thought that was really cool. Yes. They had a they had a, a an indigenous American actress yeah. playing um, yep. Pocahontas, and I thought that they, they were they, very they deliberate did, about they that. Did well yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh, he's fun. Mr. Robot right now, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, he's on Mr. Robot. He's he's didn't he win an Emmy? Did he win I think an he Emmy? did. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Robot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so. right, but I think when you talk about insidious stereotypes, when we fall into this trap where I wanted to actually, I was going to mention this, come back to your comment about, oh, I don't see color. I think <laughs> the dangerous trap is we want to not see color. We want to get to the point where there is no such thing as whitewashing or blackwashing or Asian washing or whatever, because it shouldn't matter. The problem is that we are seeing color, and perhaps we need to start thinking about, well, we're just a human being in a role. And the most important characteristic isn't this. Yeah. Or it isn't this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody else. That shouldn't matter either. Some questions. Yeah, I had another question. With the prevalence of the Marvel properties that are coming to the screen, and you know, there are certain things that have been changed in each one, I kind of take a different perspective because I'm a comic book collector for over 30 years, and I'm accustomed to seeing what I like and the page. So I take different perspective from seeing Michael B. Jordan as John Storm or uh, Idris Elba as Heimlich. Personally, I didn't like that. I like seeing what, I, what I'm accustomed to. So what I'd like to know is, do any of you come from a background where you used to collect a certain thing? Has that guided how you feel about yourself? Because like I said, I've, I've collected Thor for 30 years. So when I saw Idris Elba as Heimlich, I'm like, mm, I don't like this. I've collected Fantastic Four for over 30 years. Seeing Michael B. Jordan and the movie sucked, but it wasn't. That was just one additional aspect of like, I don't like this particular movie because of the change. Doctor Strange loved the movie, but seeing Tilda Swinton. And- <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, why are you changing it to not only a female, but a white female? Why don't you get an Asian female? I mean, that would have been better. Yeah. That would have been a heck of a lot better. Um, Why would you have suggested cast as that? Okay, I'm blanking on names. Yes. Whoever the woman from Crouching Tiger. Yeah, is that what he said, Michelle? Yeah, yeah, perfect. I would have done that. I would have been fine with that. Related to that, okay, so I'm a huge, I'm also a big uh, Marvel fan. Uh, and I'm really excited for Valkyrie in the new Thor film. I think she looks really kick-ass. Um, but... Is that, Tessa, um, is that Tessa, Tessa? Yeah. So, so fun fact. Um, so Rosario Dawson was pretty much the only Latina in the entire MCU until she came along. She's Pan American. Pan American. Cool. Tessa Thompson is Pan American. So now oh. it doubled to two people. Whoa. <laughs> you, you might catch up to biracial Asian women soon. Wow. I think we're at three. <laughs> Life yeah. goals. But, okay, so related to that, I have a huge problem. The Spider-Man film was great. That's not Peter Parker. That's Miles Morales' story. Thank you. <laughs> and I have a huge problem with them doing that. No. Thank you. Uh, my son felt Because that is the story of a half-black, half-Latino goat boy, and you took all of the trappings of his life, kind of mixed them with Peter Parker's, and gave us a Peter Parker story. I mean, his best friend. yes, yes, yes. Right out of the yeah. which was awesome because we got to see a chubby Asian guy who like, <laughs> was awesome and he's supportive because. But yeah, I have a huge Flash, problem. Flash was even. And he was actually yeah. a woman, yes. but he was also a nurse, so he wasn't a jock. That, yeah. that was a great change. Yeah. Was a great yeah. And related to that, I think a lot of the ways you, you sort of mitigate stereotypes is that you you have more than one. So like mm-hmm. with Brooklyn Nine-Nine, again, you have multiple people in these roles of color. So one person doesn't have to be everything for that entire group. And I remember years ago when I first was getting into fandom, I remember reading a comment where somebody was like, Everybody can't actually be like queer in the spin group or whatever. Yes, we can. Like, if you've got one queer person in your story, you probably have more than one. Yeah. If you've got, you know, like people find their people. Okay, of your friends, friends group. Keep your hand up if you're the only one. If you're the only one. 
<laughs> Star Wars Twitter is gay as heck. There you go. That's it? Are we done? Oh, we didn't even get to answer this question. Thank you for coming. Oh my gosh. Thank you for such a great Thank you guys. Thank you.